My name is Michael Guyan, publisher of the Lead Lag Report. Join me there is Larry Tentarelli. Uh, Larry, introduce to the audience and to me. Who are you? What's your background? What have you done throughout your career? And what are you doing currently? Good morning, Michael. Thank you for having me on. You got it, man. Please, go ahead. So I'm the CEO and founder of Blue Chip Daily Trend Report. What I do is we've got a market-based newsletter where I focus primarily on price, trends, and I focus on all the key markets, the indices, stocks, bonds, commodities. And it's mostly from a trend-following approach. And I've got a, a slightly intermediate to longer-term time frame. So generally, three to six months or a longer. Uh, I was in the financial business for a while, Series 7, with Merrill Lynch back in the late 90s, recent Series 65, and uh, just really been in the industry for interested since I was a child, I grew up in the business. So you'd be the case that if you wanted to be a, a long-term quality investor, you needed to invest in, quotes, blue chip stocks. And I don't think the definition of blue chip stocks back then was what people think of it as it is today. Blue chip stocks back then typically, I think, had more of a focus on dividends, on quality. Seems like what most people consider blue chip now are companies which have just tremendous momentum and certainly hypes, hype cycles and narratives around them. I'm curious how you how you think about outside of trend, what makes for a quality company to even see if a trend is likely to be persistent? My my focus primarily is large caps. So what I do is I draw the line. So ten billion dollars and plus, there's about seven hundred and fifty large caps. But even inside large caps, there can be a lot of volatility. There's there's crypto stocks, Coinbase. There's uranium stocks like Cameco. So really the, the focus universe for me is anything $10 billion and higher. Now, what I'll do for the website, because not all, not everyone has the same time frame. So we have a lot of members on our website that are focused on some of the more higher octane stocks. So I track the mid caps, two to 10 billion. I don't do too much with the mid caps myself. I don't do anything with small caps. But really, my it's the title's blue chip daily, but we've got the AI stocks. We cover all the tech stocks. So it's really more of a large cap focus for me personally. But I, I do anything that's got a chart, I can track it. You talk about trend falling. I always go back to the idea that uh, I don't view moving averages as necessarily a trend indicator. I view them much more as a volatility tell because usually if you're above a moving average, volatility is lower. If you're below moving average, volatility is higher. By the way, that's across the board. doesn't matter. Large cap, mid cap, small cap, stocks, bonds, commodities. That seems to be a truism across pretty much every major asset class. But when you think about trend following, you always have to be careful as far as the length of the trend because the longer a trend exists, the more likely, I would think, it is to revert. So I want you to talk about how you think about time, not just time frame, but how long a trend persists. And at what point do you start saying, you know what? Yeah, the trend's intact, but maybe I should lighten up. So you make, you make good points. So moving averages, what I found for me, at least from a trend perspective, is it's one of the simpler ways to identify Trends just because it's really based on price. It's just the calculation of the closing price. But one of the things that I like best 
about moving averages is they're really not subjective. So if if we fired up a chart right now, we could have 10 different people look at a chart and maybe see 10 different price patterns. Somebody, if someone's bullish, they could find something bullish on the chart. If they're bearish, they could find something bearish. But what I like about moving averages is the price is either over or below the moving average. And it's either flat, up, or down. So it's, we don't have to be subjective to just look at a chart and say, okay, is the price over or below? So what I primarily focus on for my time frame is I use the 50-day quite a bit, and I use the 200-day quite a bit. Now, I use some shorter-term moving averages. And as far as how I identify if stocks get extended, what I really look at is relative strength. And then I look at how far a stock is above, let's say, the 20-day or the 50-day. And if I see a really big cap like a Microsoft or an Apple, if that starts to trade 75 plus daily RSI and starts to get extended from the 20-day, then it tells me that from a scaling perspective, it might be a good place to at least take some partial profits If I'm in a position and it's trending higher, it's rare that I'll close the entire position. But if it gets extended, I might book some gains along the way and then look to add on some type of a pullback. And are you doing that just by looking at the individual stock relative strength or are you factoring in the sector and industry momentum as part of that? It's just the individual chart. So I I really focus on a, a chart by chart basis. All right, let's talk about where we are currently end of the year. I think everyone's assuming that the year is a fit to complete. And as we've seen in prior years, that's not necessarily always the case, but we can debate that. But I want to get your thoughts on how you think we might close out the year. And then maybe, since you mentioned different timeframes, what's your, what's your sense of some of these trends for 2024? So I'm, I'm mostly long pretty much everything. I'm long stocks. I'm long TLT. I'm long gold. And the reason is on the bigger trend, they're all up right now. So the S&P, NASDAQ 100, the Dow, they all made pretty much two-year weekly closing highs on Friday. Gold made an all-time weekly closing high. So when, when I look at the weekly charts, I've got weekly breakouts. The moving averages have turned higher. We've got some weekly buy signals on the charts. But I always expect volatility. I go in. Every single day, and, and especially the market after the past two years with this Fed hiking cycle, today the tech sector ETF is down 2%. And, and that should probably be expected because we've moved, what, 160 to 185. There's probably been a, a 20% move in the tech sector ETF over the past six weeks or so. So that, that can't go on forever. So I always build into my mind that after a big move, there can always be a, a 50% retracement. That's, that's just the way that I'm geared. So when I look at the trends right now, the trends tell me to be long stocks, be long TLT, and be long gold. But in, in the shorter term, there's some pullback signals that are on the chart. I look at the index oscillators. So the S&P 500, the McClellan oscillator closed on Friday 
at 91 and change. Normally, when you get to 90 on that oscillator, there's some type of a pullback in the S&P. A lot of the tech stocks, the, the NASDAQ, Microsoft went on a pretty big run. So my, my big picture view is I'm long because I've got weekly breakouts and I've got buy signals on the weekly charts. But in the shorter term, you know, what happens over the next week or two to the end of the year? There's a big rotation right now into small caps, into the banks, into industrial stocks. So maybe that puts some pressure on tech in the near term. But I, I don't see the index going higher unless tech leads out of the leads out of the gate. Yeah, and actually, I, I was looking that the small cup rotation has been touched on a lot, and it seems like that's happening. But yeah, at least going back to September, late September, utilities have still looked like as a defensive play, actually okay relative to small cap. So we'll see on that. I think it's, it's going to be intriguing just given some of these tax laws, the harvesting dynamics. Okay, now if you're going to be playing with different time frames and you mentioned you're long all these different areas, gold, TLT, you know, treasuries and equities. Let's say one of those starts to turn down, starts to diverge, you end up having more differentiated trends. What do you do from a portfolio perspective? Meaning are you reducing, going into cash, overweighting, underweighting? I think a lot of people talk about trend following, but they tend to not talk about what do you do when the trend's reversing with that you know, portion of the portfolio that the trend was in. Right. So, and that's a good question. So I use stop losses and I trail my stop losses up along the way. So I'll, I'll often use, based on how long I, I want to be in that position, I'll often use either the 50-day or the 200-day. So for the indices like the S&P 500, triple Q, I basically want to stay long as long as those are over the 40-week moving average. TLT, that, that was a recent buy-in. TLT is, is probably the, the first time that I've really gone underneath the 50-day and the 200-day that I can remember in a really long time. But what happens is each chart, I'll, I'll manage each chart on its own. So let's say, for example, if stocks started to break down, but bonds are still moving higher, then I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to hold the bond position and I could reduce the stock position. So that's each chart really stands on its own. Now, I do have positions like bonds. Really, everything right now, it seems, is tied to bond yields. So bond yields turned down in October, November, and everything's been pretty much higher since then. So really, everything that I, for the most part, a lot of my positions are, are really levered against bond yields working lower, which is what the chart looks like right now. I always like to stress that not all bonds are created equally. I think most people think of bonds now, they're thinking about treasuries, they're not thinking about credit risk when it comes to junk debt. And junk debt is the equity equivalent of the bond market. Uh, at, at what point do you start maybe getting worried that yields are falling for the wrong reasons? I say that purposely because I think there is this narrative out there that, well, now that yields are falling, all that's positive for equities and it's positive until it's not. Yeah, it, it, it's a great point because yields yields can go down for a couple of reasons. The two most obvious would be either that the market is starting to price in some type of an economic slowdown, which gives you softer bond yields, or they're pricing in the, the end of the Fed rate hiking cycle. And I think right now, based on what I see right now, with banks breaking out, small caps turning up, and, and I don't have 
any small cap positions whatsoever. I haven't really done well with small caps over the year. And when I look at the IWM chart, it's really been stuck in a range between 162 to 198 for, I don't know, a year or two. So for, I, I did take a bank position on Friday in the bank ETF because that's breaking out for me. But yeah, that, it, it's a very good question because bond yields have fallen off of a cliff right now. Now that seemed to start right after the recent QRA, after the treasury auction when the the treasury came out and said basically they've got one more capital raise left and then since then we've got some softer economic data so so right now i try not to overthink it because there is a possibility that the market starts to price in an economic slowdown but but it's not showing up at least in the cyclical stocks right now how do how does the nature of trend following or or maybe the the length of trends, how does that change based on where you are in the cycle? In other words, you know, trends and expansions tend to last for longer than trends in a recession, right? So how do you think through that? And do you consider it all you know, kind of the economic regime that you might be operating in? It, it's it's a good question. But what, what I try to do is I try to let, let Char tell me where we might be in, in, the, in the economic regime. Because I, I came into 20... 23, expecting a slowdown. I was expecting, I didn't expect a breakout in yields. I was expecting some softer economic data. But that was that was the expectation I had. But for the most part, the charts didn't support that. So I, I don't know. I don't know where we are in, in the cycle. The, the economic data continues to come in pretty strong. Uh, I, I don't get into debates a lot about soft landing and hard landing because what, what I found is the less I start to think about maybe the basics and the more I just focus on what I see with the charts, it, it helps me, it helps my mind stay a little bit more clear because I, I don't know where we are. There's a lot of things, the leading economic indicators, the yield curve's been inverted for a while. The Fed's been hiking. So there's there's a lot of things that say that we could get an economic slowdown next year, but I, I just don't see it actually in the charts yet. I want to read out loud a post you put up, which I like, but I want to go through a little bit. You put out a post a few days ago. I've said this a lot over 11 years, but my view is about 80% of what we see out there is a fade Opinion, predictions, recession calls, random posts about magazine covers or what happened in a random year. A current chart and an open mind are the best guides. Now, I think 80% is low. Okay. <laughs> I, I think you're probably closer to like 95, right? Or even more than that. Um, right. And, and I say that because the truth is narrative follows price, right? Even when you were having this enormous, what I called phase one of the credit event in September with treasuries, yeah, the narrative was, oh, who's going to fund all these, all this, uh, all, all these auctions, right? Who's going to buy up all these treasuries? And I said, yeah, that just sounds like narrative following price, right? That's that's people just trying to give a reason for why treasuries were selling off so hard and yields were spiking so much. And then obviously, you've seen pretty strong reversal the last you know, several weeks here. But I want to I want to relate that to the point about chart because narratives come from chart uh, from from price behavior. Narrative follows price. Charts are price. So it seems like maybe there's a little bit of a contradiction there, right? So you want to feed the narratives, but the narratives are coming from price. Price at some point needs to be feeded too. So how do you think about you know, that part of it? Um, because you don't want to be in a trend at the reversal, 
right? And you don't want to fall for an old story. It's a good point. But the fact of the matter is that most narratives that I see don't really follow price because I, I see when I see posts, whether it's social media or the media, for example, stocks are breaking out. And, and this happens all the time. But stocks are breaking out on the weekly charts. But I still see a tremendous amount of bearish posts that are out there where it's a, it's a trap and it's not a real breakout. And it's still a bear market rally. So it, what I think is I think that most people, it, it's like anything. I think that maybe 40% of the people out there are inherently bullish. Maybe 40% are inherently bearish. Maybe 20% are somewhere in the middle. But I, I think that most of the narratives that I see, whether it's the media, CNBC, whatever it is, most of the narratives that I see actually are based on what, what people think and not what they see in the charts. At least that's, that's what my view has been. Presumably there are some charts that are more important and more telling than others, right? A chart on some random cryptocurrency doesn't tell me anything about the crypto space. Right, right. That's, that's specific to that. So, so let's talk about some of the some of the kind of more important trends or charts that you watch to really help you paint the picture. What are things that you tend to look at more regularly than others? So, all the time, I, I look at the S and P five hundred, Nasdaq one hundred, bond yields, and the U.S. dollar. So, those those four basically are, are just something that I keep on my screen all day long. So obviously, I, I look at the Dow and I look at small caps and gold and things like that. But really, what's happening with the S&P, the NASDAQ 100 bond yields and, and the dollar, and then we could put TLT in there with, with bond yields. But those are the, really the five charts that I focus on the most to give me just a, a backdrop of, of what's happening. All right, let's talk about the dollar because I think that's actually... Interesting at this point from a lot of different perspectives. Yet, I think everyone entered this year thinking the dollar would just keep on falling off a cliff and it stabilized and everything pushed higher. And they had this kind of surge from August into end of October, bit of a turnaround in November. But now it looks like there's some resurgence, surprisingly, in the dollar's movement. There's the long-term view. There's the the sentiment out there that the dollar is going to keep on depreciating in purchasing power, but maybe not necessarily against other currencies. What is the trend of the dollar now? It seems to me that the, the surprise would actually be that it's in, a, in an uptrend that persists. So the, the trend, when, when I look at the chart right now, so I've got about 103 and change on my screen. So it's, it's really flat. If we look at where it is today versus where it was in April 2022, it's basically the same point. So there's, there's no real trend for now that I see. I would call 107 the high side and 99 the low side. So it's right in the middle of that right now. The 50-day turned down, the 200-day the is flat. So there, there's, for the time frame that I'm looking at, which is a, a two-year chart right now, it's just flat for two years with some weak shorter-term momentum. But unless it, it breaks under 100, I wouldn't call it a downtrend. We'll be back after a quick break. Hello, listeners. Michael Guyad here from Lead Lag Live. Are you ready to take a deep dive into market trends, risk management, and investment strategies? Then you need the Lead Lag Report. 
Our in-depth analysis helps you understand the financial markets like never before. And guess what? We're giving you a chance to experience it at a discounted rate. Visit theleadlag.report slash leadlaglive and get an exclusive 30% off on your subscription. Don't miss out. Level up your investment game with the Lead Lag Report. And now, back to our discussion. Yeah, and that's interesting because that seems like there is a narratives, right? It seems like there's a disconnect between the idea that the Fed is going to cut rates and the dollar holding where it is from an interest rate differential perspective. If the, if the bet is the Fed could cut rates as early as March, then you, should, I think, would expect the dollar to move lower in advance of that. So there does seem to be a bit of a disconnect there. Right. Yeah, uh, I agree. Now, now bond yields have rolled over for quite a bit. And, and the dollar, so it's down from 107 to about 103 right now. So it, it started to trend lower, but I don't think we've seen the same size draw in the dollar as we have in, in 10-year and 30-year yields. Now, of course, there was a, a lot of attention uh, overnight around gold, and I had fun with it, as I typically do on X. <laughs> but, and it's obviously now come back in as the trees and the were chatting here on December 4th is, is behaving. But I, I want to get your your broader view on gold. Now, I, I've been very clear you know, for a while that I think gold, if it breaks out, which it did at least momentarily, if that were to persist, I think that sends a a pretty interesting warning signal or message to equities. Some people will disagree with that. But to me, that's more of a sign of lack of faith in fiat, which you could also say is what's happening with this Bitcoin and crypto surge in general. But when you have a, a situation like gold where it's had this kind of like iron ceiling for a while, it momentarily breaks above it. It looks like an uptrend, but then comes right back in. What do you do with that? Try to get to the point of how do you assess if something is a, a false breakout or not? I, I think until... Spot gold can close over 2125, 2150. I think until it can close over that level, it still has to prove itself because it's failed three times under 2100 since 2020. So it, it runs up to just under 2100. Then it comes down to the 1600s. It's done that twice. So now, I will say that I do expect that, that this time it's actually going to break out and I've got a position in GLD. It's, it's, not, a, it's not a huge position. It's maybe 7 or 8%. And, I, and I've got a small position in the gold miners. I, I do think it's going to break out, but really until it starts to close over 2125, it, it's still, it has to prove itself. And do you do, you do any kind of, I know some technicians you count, right? It's a certain number of days or weeks at a certain level becomes where they get higher conviction. Is there is there a time component component to that that level? I don't have a, a real time component. So so what I do is I really just focus more on on the price levels and some of the momentum oscillators. Obviously, the the sooner it would break out, the better and the longer it takes. But I don't actually use like a, a day count or the mark count or anything like that. Got it. Okay, that 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 makes um, sense. All right, let, let's apply that uh, Bitcoin and this, I'd argue, maybe manic speculative type of movement that's taking place. Now, we know that cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin, I get it, they're different, that they tend to be highly volatile. But move like this and Bitcoin creates a lot of FOMO, gets a lot of people excited again. 
And somebody who's a trend follower, you had mentioned earlier, to get too far away from moving average, that becomes a, a point to trim. Are we at that point now with, with this Bitcoin move, with the cryptocurrency move, where it's like, all right, if, if you were in it, it's time to start lightening up or just keep on rolling the die? I, I think it's a good question. And I think it's based on time frame. So, so looking at the chart, once it broke out over 32,000, that was really the key breakout signal because it, it failed at 31,000 about four or five times in 2023. So I, I think a lot of scaling has to do with, with someone's time frame. If I, if I was looking to book some gains, I think this would be a good place. But I, I don't close the whole position. So I, I do not have a Bitcoin position. It's not really a market that I focus on. I cover it for the website, but it's not been a, a core market of mine. But it, if I had a position here and I was a more active or, or somewhat more active trader at a 75 daily RSI, it's probably a decent place to take some money off the table. But the, the longer term chart does look set up for higher, but it's at 41,000 and change and it could easily test that 50 day at 35,000 at some point. So it, it's really based on time frames. But yeah, if I had a position here, I would take a piece off the table and still hold the rest of it. Like we've got a position in Spotify and, and we got lucky with that today because they announced that they're going to have some layoffs and the stock gapped up. So I sold about 25% of the position just because I don't want to hold a stock that goes up 15 or 20%, not take anything off the table, and then it round trips back to the buy point. So once I start to see those types of gaps, I do trim a little bit off the table, but longer term, the Bitcoin chart looks good. Um, Larry, for your own personal portfolio, how often are you are you trading? What's your, what's your turnover looking like? What makes you... Uh, sell and maybe step away from markets. Talk about just some of the things that you do from a portfolio construction perspective. So what I, what I try to do is my average time frame for, for a winning position, and a lot's based on volatility, but it's generally somewhere in that three to six month window. Now, the position is working and the market's cooperating, then I can hold it for longer. I've got some NASDAQ 100 and looks like Facebook from March or so, but I can get stopped out. I use hard stops in the system and I can get stopped out. Unfortunately, it's really based on what the chart does. We had a position in Cigna Healthcare. That was, that was a chart that really lined up almost perfect for what I do, but I got stopped out maybe in about five or 10 days or so just because there was some news that came out. But basically what I do, I try to hold the core position, as long as it's working higher, but I will scale some profits out along the way. Like I said, with Spotify, we sold, we, I, I dialed back a lot of tech and, and this was on my Twitter page back when we did it. But back in July, I was probably 45 to 50% in the NASDAQ 100. And over a pretty short period of time, I dialed it back to maybe 15 or 20% just because things had gotten really overdone. But when earnings came out in July, I think Tesla pulled back like 10%. 
Netflix unwound and Taiwan semi. So I, I took some money off the table. But ideally, if I get into a position and it, it's working, I'm going to try to hold it for as long as it's at least over either the 50-day or the 200-day. But I will take some profits along the way. I'll trade around the core position. We sold some. I've still got a small piece of Facebook and NVIDIA, and I'd like to add to those positions. But I'm, I'm not ready to as of yet. I'll let the chart tell me when to add. But I try to hold as long as it's working because I want to hold my winners as long as I can. But my losers can get stopped out fairly quickly. Or if the trend breaks down or if I see a better opportunity, then I'll walk and cut a position. How do you, how do you even go about identifying stock position into it? There's more uptrends than downtrends, I think, in general, right? But that's obviously a bull market, <laughs> which oddly enough, you can argue is maybe not the case this time around, but we can, we can debate that. But, but when you're going about screening stocks for that, those that are trending well, what is the screen? We alluded to moving averages a little bit earlier, but even that, you're going to have a, a huge list if you're going through large cap. So how do, you, how do you try to whittle down to the positions that you want to focus on? That, that's a great question. So the first thing I do is I start backwards from what sectors are leading and what industries are leading. So I want to find out what I'm really looking for is strong stocks in strong sectors. So if I run a screener and it says that XYZ industrial stock, industrial sector stock is ready to break out, but the entire industrial sector is very weak, then I'll have that chart down the list where if it tells me for example, bank stocks. So bank stocks moved up to number one. There's 11 S&P 500 sectors. Banks XLF moved up to number one by relative strength last week. So the entire sector is the number one sector. So when I start to run my stock screener, I want to find out what are the strongest stocks in that sector and then also I, I sort the stocks. I want them to be over the 50-day, over the 200-day. If they're over the 20-day, that's even better. And, and a lot for my actual stock selection has to do with what I already own. So if I'm maxed out, for example, in bank stocks, I'm not just going to keep buying bank stocks. So really my stock selection comes down to what do I own right now? Where, is, where are the strongest sectors? And then what stocks in that group are, are ready to break out? I'm ideally looking for breakout stocks. So that, that's a, those are a couple of good questions. So the, the first thing, as far as stops, in my stops are based on the volatility of the chart and the volatility of the market. So generally, I, I try to run about 6 to 8% stops. But what the problem's been over the past uh, year and a half or so that we've been in this Fed hiking cycle, there's been a, a lot more volatility. So right now, my standard stops on, on a new position are generally about 10%. And what happens is people, people mistakenly think that 10% of a stop means that you're going to lose more money, but it, it really doesn't. Because what determines how much money is at risk is how much you put into the stock. 
So if I've got a, a 5% stock position and I run a 10% stop, if I'm wrong, I, I lose 50 basis points of my money. And I want to try to not risk more than 1% on a position. When I look at the chart, the, the key thing I want to take a look at is where is my support on the chart? So I'm going to try to get under the 50-day. If I'm buying a stock near the 50-day, I want to try to get my stock underneath some type of a moving average. And, and there's a lot of stocks that I miss out on because they're, they're so volatile that I can't take a position and get a stop that makes sense for me. But for the most part, I'm, I'm going to run 8 to 10% stops. And then I'm going to try to make at least 2 to 1 on my money, which means I need a, a 16 to a 20% move. So we, we dialed back some Spotify today, right about 16 or 17%. Uh, you know, we've got some of these NASDAQ 100 stocks that have been on a pretty strong run. But over time, I'm, I'm trying to get at least 2 to 1 on my money. I'm trying to keep my turnover low. I could run much tighter stops. I could run a 5% stop, but I'm, I'm not looking to have that much turnover. Once I get into a position, I want to give it some room to work. Larry, let's talk about the things that maybe are starting to show some strength that you don't have necessarily position in or that you haven't necessarily written about recently, but you might in the future. Not investment recommendations, obviously, but sure. there's certain, some areas that you think are, are, are individual tickers that you think are, are looking interesting that once you just keep in the back burner? Yeah, so, and, and that's a really good question. You put up a post about Brazil. Brazil looks great. EWZ, the entire, the Latin America ETF, ILF, looks pretty strong. There, India is breaking out right now. I generally don't do too much with international markets. I, I cover it for the website because obviously people are interested. But for the most part, I, I tend to stick in the U.S., but I've got, I've got Novo, which is out of Europe, Spotify is out of Europe. So I'm not, I'm not against going outside the U.S. And, and I see some good charts, Latin America, Brazil, India is breaking out. China is still a mess. FXI is a difficult chart. I just started a position in the banks on Friday. The bank chart at KBE. I think it is setting up very well. Gold miners, we just started a position there. But what, I, what I'm really seeing right now is just a rotation into every, I call it everything else, which is the, the small caps, the banks, the real estate stocks, these telephone stocks like Verizon, AT&T, the cryptocurrency stocks have been breaking out for a while. But what I really see right now is just the market broadening out from a concentration in big cap tech into everything else. But I like, of what I don't own, I, I like the, the bank chart, maybe the best right now of what I just started to take positions in. We'll be back after a quick break. Foodies unite with How You Dish. It's social media with a secret sauce. Food, the world's first network for food enthusiasts. How You Dish connects foodies across the world. Share kitchen tips and recipe hacks. Discover hidden gem food joints and street food. Find foodies like you. Connect, chat, and organize meetups. How You Dish makes it simple to connect through food anywhere in the world. So... 
How do you dish? Download How You Dish on the Apple App Store now. Which you can argue is a, is a maybe hugely contrarian trait, although I myself have written about how even with a credit event, which I still think is coming, corporate credit event, financials have probably discounted quite a bit of bad news. So from a relative strength perspective, I myself believe that any kind of a real, in quotes, event probably hurts tech more than financials. And so I actually think that makes a lot of sense. Do you get worried, though, about on the regional side a, a bit that, yeah, you can still see more disruption? The, the, the large cap banks are going to be less, I think, likely to have surprise gaps, whereas regional but, banks right, will be more likely. And gaps are, are can be the either, either the blessing or the curse for a trend follower. Now, it, it, it's, it's a great question. And what I did, so the position I took on Friday, I went into KBE, which is just the, the bank ETF, which it does have a lot of regionals, but it's got JP Morgan, Bank of America. It's got the big names. KRE, I think, is, is going to be much higher octane, much more upside potential, much more volatility. And, and something I just posted on our, our, our Twitter page today is the bank and the small caps are really in the same bucket where they need strong economic data. So if we get any really soft data, you know, if jobless claims really go through the roof, you know, if there's any major soft economic data, then the small caps and the banks probably get hit the hardest. So I, I went with KBE. Uh, but yeah, the, the regionals, I think, just like you said, they, they really need the economy. It's going to be either a, a big hit or a miss on those regional banks. Yeah, and of course, there's a linkage between regional banks and small caps anyway. The, the, the small cap sideways and divergence really started around March, right, when the regional bank crisis hit. So, and yeah, it's a lot of regional banks in small caps. So you can argue there may be one in the same trade to some extent. But I guess the question then becomes, is it a trade versus a longer term Allocation. I get it. As a trend follower, you don't know how long it lasts. But if you have a gut feeling around how long a trend in regionals or small caps could could persist, you think it's just a short term trend or something that could be almost like a, a full year long type of uh, leadership move. I I think if it works, it could have a full trend reversal. So when I when I take a look just at the KRE chart. So KRE is, is basically coming out of a base. It was in a price base. So the, the banks all broke down February into March, right? So from March until right now, December, you've got a, a pretty wide price base for KRE from 40 up to 49 on the high side. So what I see right now is they, they reclaim the 200-day moving average for the first time going back to February. and and what I do look at is the, the longer a stock or a market is below the 200-day moving average, I think the more significant it is when it reclaims it on the upside. And then there's some, there's some bullish weekly momentum. The 50-day started to turn higher. But when I look at it from a risk-reward perspective, so I've got a, a 10% stock. In my, in my bank position. And I think if it works, just by looking at, at KBE and looking at, at KRE, uh, if they work, 
I think there's probably 20 to 30% of upside versus a 10% stop. So if I can make two to three times all my money, then then it, it's good math for me. But the, I think if they were, I think there's some, some bigger moves that are coming. And it, it's really going to come down to, does the economy hold up for the next six months or so, six to eight months? Yeah, and to your point about you know, earlier, nobody knows. We can all pontificate for here tomorrow, including the Fed. But right, the reality is they don't know either. It, it will be interesting though, because if the Fed does cut earlier than expected, you see the same data and charts that I've seen. Usually, the bulk of a drawdown happens after the Fed does a pivot. Not always, but typically is the case. That breaks all kinds of trends from that perspective. If you're in an environment where no major asset class is trending well. Do you just wait in cash? Are you shortening up your 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 tactical timing? I think there is a part of this where, yes, there's a narrative that there's always a bull market somewhere, but in looking for that new bull market somewhere, you can get chopped around a lot. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there. And and what happens is when when nothing is working, I hold a lot of cash. And ideally, I don't want to hold a lot of cash. But what happens because of my system, so I will be, usually I'll be long when the trends reverse lower and I, I generally don't catch any bottoms. So the, the first 10% of the move off the first 5% or 10% of the move off of the bottom, I'm usually not going to get that because I don't buy into bottoms and I don't buy into downtrends. We might get lucky with, with, TLT, I bought TLT maybe $5 or so off the lows. But for the most part, I'm going to have some long exposure at the top when these trends reverse. So it's just a matter of trying to scale out some gains on the way up. But yeah, if if nothing is working, I'm going to be holding a lot of cash. I generally don't trade on the short side. I'm not very good at it. Over the years, I've had a couple really big short side trades, but I've also had a lot of really small where I've gotten stopped out. And and I found that just for my system and for my mindset, I'm just better to sit with cash in downtrends and look for reversal signals. The, The one thing I like about TLT is I think TLT works. If, if we get an economic slowdown and the Fed cuts, then TLT, I, I think, is a home run trade. And even if we don't get an economic slowdown, I, I guess the real thing is if the Fed cuts, why do they cut? And, and one argument is that they're gonna, they would have to cut if the economy falls off a cliff. But another argument is that if inflation, I think PCE month over month was flat last week, right? So I guess the question is, if inflation keeps trending lower and we get down to 2%, there's really no reason for the Fed to hold the overnight rate at five and a quarter. So I think it really comes down to if if the Fed cuts, because listen, I've been in the, for the past year and a half, I've been in the camp of they're not going to cut, they're going to hold our, our feet to the fire. They're not going to give us any break whatsoever. But now, when, when I look at what's happening with inflation, it's, it's been spiraling 
downwards. Now, it, it could turn higher. Anything can turn on a dime. But if inflation keeps trending lower down to that 2% area, it's hard to see the Fed justified holding five and a quarter. Larry, for those who uh, want to track more of your thoughts and more of your work, uh, where would you point them to? Uh, best place to find me. So everything is at bluechipdaily.com. So on Twitter, at bluechipdaily. My website is bluechipdaily.com. I post a lot of free content on the uh, on the public page. I've been on Twitter for about 11 years now, and uh, I always have a good time interacting with people. And I'm always up to discuss the markets. That makes one of us as far as having a good time on Twitter. So I, like, I have a good time, but I have to, I have to get rid of the toxicity. Anyway, everybody, please make sure you follow Larry here on X. Again, this will be an edited podcast. I've got around four more spaces for the rest of the week. So stay tuned for that. And everybody enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you, Larry. Appreciate it. Mike, well, thank you so much for having me on. I, I really appreciate it. Cheers, everybody. You too. Thank you. The content in this program is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any information or other material as investment, financial, tax, or other advice. The views expressed by the participants are solely their own. A participant may have taken or recommended any investment position discussed, but may close such position or alter its recommendation at any time without notice. Nothing contained in this program constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments in any jurisdiction. Please consult your own investment or financial advisor for advice related to all investment decisions. Don't forget to follow at LeadLag Report on X, Instagram, Threads, and YouTube, and check out the LeadLag Report at www.leadlagreport.com. Use promo code PODCAST30 for two weeks free and 30% off to get access to award-winning research and anticipate stock market crashes, corrections, and bear markets.